Hola, como estas? Welcome to another episode of Tequila High Club. This episode, we're going through another bottle of the same tequila that we had last week, but I've gone further into detail on exactly what the founders have done in their past lives and why it makes this so special. And I apologize to the tequila company, Siampre, that I didn't do enough education last episode, but today we're really going to go deep on who you guys are and why your tequila is one of the fastest growing in the world. And on top of that, we've got another mate of mine who's on the show. He's extremely successful businessman. He's killing it in the podcast game. He's got a very cool show that he has the best people that come on, and I'm super stoked to have him on board today for Tequila High Club. Kevin, welcome, bro. How are you, man? I'm doing amazing, man. What a setup. Nice, man. Thank you. Thank you. So what's um, what's your, what's your tequila experience like? Do you, to be honest, do you... I'm a, an absolute beginner. Yeah? So it's going to be very easy to fool me into any kind of... You know, <laughs> and, and if you're asking me, you said that out of 10, like I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't take what I say as a benchmark or a reference because uh, yeah. I'm not the dude... I just know the nice, you know, uh, the white bottle, the white and blue bottle. Flat or yeah, that yeah. everyone always exactly. marks the tables. Yeah. yeah, but probably discovered that even like a year or two years ago. So that's how much I don't know. <laughs> that's how much I'm going to be educated today. Yeah, food. exactly. I mean, that's why I love tequila because, yeah, everyone, no one's, a, no one's a specialist in this game. But the reason why I do ask later on what out of 10, it's about what you feel. It's not about like you giving a benchmark. It's like, do you enjoy the taste? Do you, do you enjoy the flavor? If you do, then amazing. If you don't, okay, cool. It's good feedback. So let's, um, let's get into it then. All right, mate? So, yes. so what we're going to do is we're going to take a sip of this. Before we get into it, we are tasting Siempre. So this is a Reposado. So you notice how it's this kind of brownie color. So Reposado in Spanish means rested. So whenever you see a bottle that has this kind of this color, it means it's been rested in barrels for up to six months. And that just means it's blended a little bit better. It's rested, has a bit more fullness, usually get a lot more spices as well. So, but before we go into actually talking about the spices, let's have a smell. Cheers, man. Cheers. Let's have a smell and see what, see what you're smelling. I smell dream. <laughs> I smell opportunity. <laughs> I smell success. <laughs> I smell the. I smell and taste the light at the end of, of the tunnel after a tough uh, last twelve months. <laughs> this is interesting. So the planko that they had, we had on the last episode, was very nice. It had like a lot of fruitiness to it, but. Um, some of the stuff that they've actually done with the barrels is interesting. So what, so what do you smell? Do you smell anything? There's quite a lot of flavors that are going through, so it's very hard to understand which one's going on. What I feel like is like in 10 to 20 minutes, I'm going to be talking a lot, guys. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's my whole plan. Like I can feel it already. Like this is going to make me... Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I already talk a lot, usually without anything. Yeah. Actually, people always ask me, like, Kevin, are you drunk? Kevin, are you drunk? Yeah. Because I talk too much and I joke too much. Mm -hmm. So, like, I hope... Uh, You'll be good, bro. I hope we'll be good. You'll be sweet. <laughs> so, do you taste anything at all? Can you put a... Uh, for number one, you can automatically taste that it's spicy, right? Absolutely. It's a bit spicier, yeah. right? Yep. 
But it's spicy, not directly. You, you, you feel it a bit afterwards. Yes, exactly. So a lot of it, so the tasting notes, like the, um, the aroma that we've got going on is there's apple, caramel, there's honey, smoke, and smoke wood. And so that comes from the barrels. Okay. So one of the cool things is that a lot of these reposados, they use American and French barrels and they put them together. So they sometimes infuse them with either champagne barrels or, or whiskey barrels American bourbon barrels, and this one's actually they brand new barrels of, um, and they're used with uh, Jack Daniel's barrels as well. So from the barrels that Jack Daniel used to have, they bring them over, and then they put the tequila in it. So then they settle it with that, and it brings that kind of spicy bourbon oaky feel to it. And then on top of that, they've got some pepper, some pepper. Yeah, the pepper you can definitely you can taste. Yeah. yeah so that's kind of like also the the bang's spiciness that kind of has that feel to it. Now, an interesting thing about this, which is the first tequila that I've actually learned about this, is they use something called, um, uh, it's called, uh, I, can't, I cannot pronounce it. It's ag, ag, agu, agua mil, which means uh, in Spanish, water, honey. So, agua mil. Agua miel. Okay. Thank you. Miel. Yeah, you, you know Spanish better than me. I'm Spanish, sí. So, uh, uh when they put that in, this um, plant has a lot of therapeutic um, properties to it. So they infuse it with the agave and they take it from the from the oven. So this is also something that's very interesting on having not just a, a tequila that doesn't have preservatives, but also having you know this honey water sort of aspect to it, which is cool. Why did you choose tequila and not another? Tequila is my favorite. Okay. Yeah. I don't drink anything else but tequila. I grew up on wine and, and spirits like bourbon and that. And then I just started drinking, or then I got into vodka, then I started drinking tequila more in my mid-20s to late-20s. And then my best mate who we came up with this idea for Tequila High Club, he would only drink tequila mm. and he got me onto the orange juice tequila. And then since then, me and him just always partied on tequila and always drank and then just fall in love with it. It just, it's a better different, it's a better high. And next, next, if you take good tequila the next day, you're feeling way better. How do you, ah, that's most alcohol actually. Like yeah. good, yeah, good alcohol makes a big difference. If you go to, let's say like the average club or like most of the clubbing experience or bar experience, do you find that they are as um, knowledgeable about different alcohols or at least tequila than as knowledgeable as you wish they were? Or do you find like, oh, can you really tell like a place that's yeah. at it or not? Or everybody's, you know, all the places are... I'd say pretty much decent because they have to be. It comes from the distributor. Okay. So the distributor, what I've noticed, and like shout out to um, DSP Wines, uh, my good friend, right? Um, uh, my good friend Richard, he's got the biggest distributing company in Indonesia, and he's considered as the tequila like godfather here, where he brings everything. But his sole goal is to go around to bars and really give masterclasses, teaching all the bartenders and everything, so everyone understands the essence of the alcohol that they're actually selling to them instead of just going, hey, here's a cheap bottle of tequila, you know, it's going to get everyone fucked up. Uh, and then, yeah, it's also, you know, we, can, we got loads of it. Instead of having that aspect, it's what, one, will be good for your clientele, but then two, what's a really good cocktail for your bartenders to actually become a mixologist with? And you can have shit tequila, but shit tequila doesn't really work well when you're doing an old-fashioned. Do they 
do they look at your cocktail list and then advise on what tequila or do they say actually here are our tequilas and here are the cocktails that we would advise you to prepare for your clients pretty like much optimal yeah that way, around. that way around because also richard's very well connected with a lot of the mixologists and bartenders around so and he has people coming in from around the world to actually give uh master classes to bartenders and different venues that he sells to as well mm. So that's another key thing as well. It's, it's really important to about the education on that to really change the mentality around tequila because everyone thinks it's just a shot, you know? Yeah, because like, and that's interesting. The interesting thing is you can go around educate the people working in the bars and in the club, mm. but like, how do you educate the customers? Because yeah. the customers are pretty much drunk and they don't give drink and they don't give a fuck as long as it's yeah effective. As soon as you well, because effective. In. 100%. So, how do you get there? Use mm. podcast. Yeah. What else? Exactly, right? And the thing I love about tequila, out of any other alcohol, there's a better and bigger story behind it. There's a lot more soul to tequila because of the way it's generated within Mexico. On You can't build, you can't make tequila anywhere else but Mexico. And so, I love the story behind Siempre is that uh, I'm going to go back because I didn't give enough coverage and I really, I know for you and what you do with like your podcast and your show and who you really work with, uh, the co-founders of Siempre. So about 10 years ago, there was a guy called Alex um, Lacroix and he was, uh, he got picked up on a felony charge for firearms um, back in Canada. And then he went through into jail and then he had to go on trial. And at the time, he like a friend of his, one of his best mates was murdered. Um, all his other friends were getting locked up in prison. He was in basically a, like probably like a gang or something like that, right? And then from there, he realized that he's got to turn his life around because he had a little one-year-old girl. And so he enrolled himself into college, into, um, into advertising and ended up dominating became like the top of his class. And then a year later, he had to go and have trial. And then they put him on house arrest for a year. And then while he was at school, he ended up meeting his partner now, who's um, the founder, Monica Sanita, who's the founder of, with um, Simpero, with them together. And so the, the backstory is Sanita's family, Monica's family, her grandma used to make mezcal back in Mexico for all her family. And so she's got it from within her blood, like this tequila, mezcal um, history. And then he loves drinking tequila. So, and they're sitting around the table in their family um, in 2014. And they're like, why don't we all love tequila? We drink the best tequila because it's from our family. Why don't we import tequila into Canada, all the ones that we really like and really give good tequila to Canada? And so when they went to Mexico, they started taste testing couldn't find anything and then they ended up using um the essence of their grandma's recipe um and like the history to really go on and create their own and then 2015 the first bottle was made and they made twenty five thousand dollars that year and in 2022 with no celebrity help or anything like that endorsements anything like that they made 11 million dollars in 2022 and 2017, they won all these crazy awards. And I just love that. And on their website, they don't share that. I had to go in and find that history on Alex 
And I think it's such a powerful thing to be in the dumps, down in the dirt, and then coming up to this kind of level. I think it's fucking amazing. And How do you find it? I found the bottle and then I researched. So that's that's kind of how I do it. What was the story you said, or I might have misunderstood, but you said that tequila can only be made in Mexico. Yes. Why? Because they got a trademark in Mexico. Okay. All around the world. Same like France, right? You can't do champagne anywhere else. How long is the trademark for? Forever. Forever. Interest. Yeah. And they will come and shut, they'll, you'll get shut down as well, like anywhere right. around the world. By, by whom? Let's, <laughs> let's just, let's, let's, I mean, you look at the Mexican government and like who's tied in with that, like there's cartels you involved. You don't want to try and fuck around basically. No, no, not at all. <laughs> if it was Switzerland, people would be like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to do my own version exactly. of chocolate or whatever. I don't care. Yeah. But like, it's Mexico, you're not going to try. Yeah. Well, there's a story as well that here in Indonesia, they brought over agave. So agave is the plant where tequila is made from and they made these big farms here. And, you know, lo and behold, about two years later, the person who started it kind of went disappearing and the farm was just left to grow nothing. And so you are allowed to grow agave, you're just not allowed to make tequila from it. And they were planning to like make some sort of new barley tequila and you can't do that. So it's a very interesting thing. What do you think about that? I think it's great. It keeps the purity in the soul in, in the tequila. Because how many times has something taken from another country and it's just like, yes, it's made better or good, but the essence and the story from Mexico, when you, like the one of... Yeah, but using or leveraging fear or threat, instead, but, of, instead of saying this is a competitive word, people should be allowed to try their own thing if we really do the absolute best product. Mm-hmm people but, should in theory go for it but yeah i understand that but i think it's it's okay i put it wrong like i kind of put some fear into it it's more so like a respectful thing as well mm. you know the the mexican um people have gone through a lot of trial and tribulation through you know the spanish culture coming in back like in the histories before and then for them to really have these family made recipes because it's what it is it's really more so like the family recipes that are keeping sacred and I think that's the important thing. And actually, speaking about family, I, I never usually do this, but um, Alex LaCroix wrote this. Um, I found this article. And then what he says here kind of brings the understanding on what tequila really means, not just for them, but like the entire population on who actually creates it. And he says, if we're going to go to do business with someone, we really try and bring them into our family as well as us becoming a part of theirs. Alex notes. We also operate on the premises of my mother would kill me. By this, I mean we stress to our employees that we should be doing the things the way our mothers taught us. For example, if you are at a meeting in a restaurant, you offer to do the dishes. When you stay at a hotel, you leave it cleaner than when you found it. When you meet a distributor, supplier or client, you treat them with the most utmost most respect. The whole idea of my mother would kill me is actually now one of our core values. As the company grows, we're passing it on to each new member of staff. So everything around the company is always, you know, really how do we benefiting everyone from a family style? And that's really, I think that's the essence on, it's not about the trademark and not letting on else. It's like, there's so many families that have actually created tequila with recipes. And that's more important. If I had something that my family created, of course I'd want to keep that, you know, with my own, um, in my own area. So that's it. You also feel the difference in the taste in the end. 
Because if it's made with love and from the heart, you'll feel it. Exactly, bro. 100 percent All right. So let's um let's take this shot, bro. And then we are going to have some of my favorite tequila and orange juice. And I'm gonna see what your rating is. Well, that's good. Wow, that's really smooth as a tequila. Holy shit. This one is good. This one is like, I love to have um, chamomile tea with honey on the side. Yes. This is like tequila with honey inside. I mean, probably, I don't know if it's the case, but it's very sweet. It's what? like the sweetest tequila I ever tasted. Well, that's that. Um, even nine out of 10. Nine out of 10? And I'm a hard one to, you know, like if, you, if I have to rate a woman out of 10, it's basically going to be no woman out of, with a 10. Yeah. Okay. So like the, there's going to be no tequila with a 10. So that's basically a... That's basically it. That's basically it. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> One of the other things before we move on to, on to you, my man, is the other cool thing about Siampre is that that's killer now is really good. So there's ratings where they're getting like eight, 87.5, like out of 100, which is phenomenal for such a young tequila. And their price points, they also, like Monica was talking about how she wanted to take all the ego out and she wanted to create a tequila where everyone can enjoy, but it doesn't have to cost 500 bucks for a bottle. Class Azul is like 500 bucks for a bottle. Mm. And that's a Reposado, still, you know, rested for six months. Amazing tequila, but this, for the price point, like, you, you can't really actually beat. The shot we had now, what was it? What was it? Was this? This, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Cheers. Now, yeah, now this is going to be even better. Tequila orange juice, my favorite. How many? Oh my God. That issue was good, right? So you said uh, they're fairly young, and what, seven, eight years old? They're first bottom 15, yeah, years old. Yeah. What's the average age of like tequila company out there that they're competing with? I mean, you've got some of the top ones that have been going for like 20, 30 years. Okay, so it's not, it's fairly recent still. Like it's not like a hundred years old or two hundred years. There's old. there's some that are like people are like, oh man, this is next level just because it's been around for that long. Yeah, I had one company where they they'd been they'd started in nineteen sixties, um, but the majority it's like the recipe has been around for ages, and then they've built the um, built the actual business together to make this type of bottle. But the tequila itself that they may be distilling uh, distilling with may have already been around for a hundred years, mm. but it's like the business as the company itself is different. So that, that's the, um, the story of Siempre. Love it, love the concept, love the set. Oh, one thing I didn't colors. mention. Yeah. The one thing I didn't mention is the, so on the bottle, we've got, uh, roses here. So you've got dead roses and alive roses. And this is all about the, what the meaning of this is always. So always um like there's always something gonna good gonna happen and there's always something bad that's gonna happen as long as we celebrate both we're celebrating life and that's really what the um the label and everything and it's hand drawn as well it's not you know anything um else so that's again another top onto that so life is a pendulum and you're always swinging between amazing and terrible yeah or great and not less great and it's just normal it's part of life yeah in everything, relationships, business, friendship, health, everything. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Exactly. 
So now that we've spoken about the story of tequila, let's let's speak about the story of Kevin. Yeah, exactly. So why are you on the pendulum right now? <laughs> it's going to be better way up here. Year. Amazing. Better than last year. <laughs> so so let's talk about you, bro. Where are you from uh, originally, and where are you based now? And so, so what's your history? Because and we can get into you know what you're doing now. So you're going to ask me that because I'm going to talk for two hours. It's okay. Just message your homie downstairs. I'm from Switzerland. I'm 31 years old. My name is Kevin. I'm very happy to be here. I live in Singapore right now. Like, long story short, I moved to Shanghai, Hong Kong, Singapore eight years ago. To do some internships to open my mind to the world after my bachelor degree. Then I moved to Madrid to do an MBA. Then I moved to London. What was your bachelor degree in? Uh, economics. Okay. Uh, mostly statistic econometrics, so very math-based. Mm-hmm. What's two plus two? Sorry? What's two plus two? I, 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 I would be able to answer usually, but right now it's a bit complicated. <laughs> Continue. Probably <five. laughs> That's what optimistics say, no? Yeah. Two plus two equal ten. <laughs> um, yeah, moved to Madrid after my stint in Asia. Did the MBA there and then moved to London to start my first company when I was 23. So straight from Madrid to London. Spent three years in London, built a data analytics company. Then I had really bad health issues because of some medicine I was taking. So I had to sell the company because I was not able to run it anymore. My co-founders were not really confident enough to do all the business part. The business was doing great. Was a would never have become a 100 million company was more for consulting, implementation, business, so great cash cow, but, you know, it takes time to build. So we sold it, got a bunch of money. Then I spent a year on my health. And meanwhile, I was looking for, it was not enough to retire. It was great for 20, I was 26 at that moment, but not enough to retire. So I was thinking, where can I invest this money to make as much money as possible, as quickly as possible? Because I might never be able to work again in my life because I was really in a terrible state with the uncertainty of how to get out of that. And uh, that was late 2018. And I remember I was just looking for a depressed market to, in- to invest this money. Because I had understood the principle of investing since I was 22, 23. My goal was always, oh, I want to make money, build businesses, make money, invest to be retired before 30. I had a certain number in my mind you know, to be before 30. And uh, this kind of forced me to like look more into this. And I remember 2000, late 2018, I remember that a year before there was this crypto bubble that I was not really involved in, but you know, when Bitcoin goes crazy, mm-hmm. there was like a 20X in six months, like you hear about it, obviously. And that was late 2018. And I'm like, oh man, this year, that, last year, everybody was talking about that. Now it's dead. Probably interesting to have a look because I'm looking for a depressed market to invest my money and the stock market, the real estate market, the commodities market, everything is going up since 2009. So for 10 years, almost up straight. So I go look into crypto and uh, during my MBA in 2014, so four years before that, we had an entire week on Bitcoin, an entire week. And at the end of this week, there's this dude who came to do a one hour talk bit of an arrogant dude, very smart, but very arrogant. And I remembered his last words were, Bitcoin is a new internet. And this kind of like stuck with me. And I mean, I knew 
I would go to London to start a data analytics company, but I remember that. So four years later, I have this money to invest. I'm like, I need to find this dude. And I was back in Switzerland to heal. And I contacted the dude, went to Madrid for 15 minutes coffee, turned into a two hours monologue. He was just talking, I was just listening. Then he told me what to read. Wait a minute. So you flew from a country to go have a 15 minute Absolutely. coffee. Absolutely. That's, but that's what you do when you are an entrepreneur. I'd say like, just like, oh man, this dude, because he had the, he had the big position in crypto. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing back then, still now, but much more, much more difficult. Back then it was so niche. You could, could go talk to anyone and they would, they would literally talk to you because people who understood crypto and Bitcoin and potential, they would just want to spread the word. Mm-hmm. So I went to Madrid for a 15 minutes coffee. I mean, I also have some friends there, but like the main reason why yeah. I want to go there because I want to learn more about this crypto thing because everybody thinks it's, it's dead. Wait, so I want to dive into that quickly though, is how much did it cost you to fly from Switzerland and there to just do your 15 minute, co- like 15 minute coffee and then I don't know, 200 bucks maybe. 200 bucks. 400 bucks with the hotel for two nights. Yeah. Oh, I meet a few friends, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. Like, But like I had a certain amount of, that was way more than that to invest. Mm-hmm. And also I'm, I, I just love to learn. So I was like, and also I, I was just thinking I'm going to have an opportunity to meet this super smart dude mm. for 15 minutes. And I love to ask questions which is where the podcast now. And it, I should have done that since 10 years because I, oh, I was always very curious and asked a lot of questions to people. And I'm able to talk to a two-year-old child. I'm a bit like a chameleon and do the Mongoloid, you know? And then I can talk to like the president of Switzerland, which I did, for example, when I was 18, I did a, a paper for my high school and I, I, I would interview the boss of the Swiss National Bank, the president of Switzerland and all these people. But I never really like connected the dot that, oh, you could ask questions to people back in 2008, nine mm-hmm. when Joe Rogan started mm-hmm. and that this could like become something in the future, you know? Anyway, I went to Madrid, talked to the dude. I mean, listen to the dude two hours. He tells me, read these two books, the Bitcoin standard and the internet of money. Bitcoin standard is basically a book that talks 80% absolutely not about Bitcoin. Tells you about the evolution of money. What's a good money? What's a bad money? Started with feathers, stones, precious metals. Why did we move to something else and so on and so forth? And why Bitcoin makes sense. And I read that and because I'm very anti-system, I don't trust things. I don't trust the government and everything. I mean, I'm not, I don't be, I'm not that as far as to say, you know, the matrix and all that kind of entertained yeah. stuff. But like, I'm like, you know, like people have a brain and I think a brain is, can become very smart, but like he's very limited to understand how complex the world is. And therefore people with all have these incentives and probably most of the incentives are not for the greater good, but just for themselves. Therefore, in anything you can apply that. In medicine, in uh, pharma, which I got fucked by, which is why I had, I had three years of like mm-hmm. really bad problems in money with the money printing and Bitcoin. In inflation. the investing inflation, exactly, which is a hidden tax in investing world. The entire thing is made very complicated because it gives a lot of jobs and makes a lot of money for the brokers because people want the brokers and the companies make money on fees, which is when you trade, you buy, sell, buy, sell. Yeah. The only thing you should do is buy low cost index funds and hold them forever, but that doesn't make any money. Mm-hmm. But there's an entire industry around that. So everywhere you can almost find these 
it's just incentive systems that are not aligned for greater good mm. or for even clients, you know. Can we go back quickly to the book that you're saying? Because when you're talking about, cause it's interesting, I don't think many people have heard this of going back and looking at money when currency used to be feathers, stones. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the con- what's the consensus about like that money and money works and, and the power? Absolutely. Like- so it's just, what's the definition of a good or they call it a sound money or unsound money, right? Bad money. <laughs> a good money is something that even if it becomes valuable, cannot be printed or you can't make more of it. Because obviously, if I discover something that's valuable or that people define as valuable, I'm going to try to find a way to make more of this thing because I'm going to be kind of printing money out of thin air. An example is, so for example, you, you would use feathers, you know, maybe certain type of feathers. I'm not like a, history, a historian, but... Then you realize, oh man, there's too many of them out there. People can just take another one and they're just printing money out of thin air because they're using this mm-hmm. as a medium exchange, right? Mm-hmm. Then in the book, there's an example where they say they discovered this stone that's kind of rare. The more it's rare, the better as a, as money because if it's rare, you can't make more of it, right? Mm-hmm. So they would discover this stone and they realize because it's rare, it makes sense as a unit of account. But then some dudes went to another island and discovered that this stone was, there was plenty of their, it there. So they would just bring it back. And for, for a while, they had this kind of arbitrary opportunity where they could basically print money out of sin. And, mm. and then they realized, oh, this is not going to be it. And then precious metal, silver. And then, oh, gold is more difficult because it's more rare. And to dig it or to mine it, it's, a very, it's very expensive, right? Mm-hmm. So that was a great medium of exchange. That's why there is a lot of people who are kind of gold bugs still today and think gold is amazing. Mm-hmm. The problem is then it goes, the, the whole book goes into the evolution of how governments and countries, and mostly government, use debt to, to finance everything and mostly wars. Okay. So how do you finance war? Oh, I need more money. What can I do? Ah, so at some point what happened, the gold, you know, was backing, you know, the money was backed by gold. Yeah. But the US dollar, yeah. Exactly. But at some point they would say, oh, let's just say that from now on, I don't know the exact numbers, but like, let's say, you know, like you have one ounce of gold backing, I don't know, a hundred US dollar, just random, you know, made numbers. At some point the government decided Oh, now there's only 0.5 ounce of gold backing $100. So basically, you have twice as much money, you know, because if you own the gold, you have twice as much money. So then you can fund more war or if there is an economic crisis, how do I Mm. pay for that or buy assets and so on and so forth. So basically, this, we went from like gold backing fiat currency, so paper currency to like having nothing. I think it was 1971, Mm -hmm. abolition of gold standard. And from that moment on, printing money, basically, every time there's a problem because you're just growing the debt ceiling, but like there's nothing attached to that because yeah. it's not attached to a, a rare unit of account, which would be gold, right? And that's why Bitcoin, some people call it digital gold because it makes a lot of sense because there's only 21 million Bitcoin out there. And because uh, mathematical, yeah. mathematically, you can't change it. And so most of the book talks about not Bitcoin, 
evolution of money, medium, uh, uh, medium of exchange, and then unit of account. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, it made so much sense. And um, I just decided after reading that, plus another one called uh, The Internet of Money by Andreas Antonopoulos. He was more explaining the basics of Ethereum. So the underlying infrastructure of the future of the internet, right? Like we had TCP IP in the 1990s, whatever. And you had all this internet built on the top of that. Now you have this, we call it layer one in crypto. It's this base layer where you can build applications on the top. The difference is first you can build what's called decentralized application, at least in theory. So you can build applications that remove the third-party toll collector. Mm-hmm. So you can save a lot of money that goes back to the users. And on the top, you're also removing the power from the the third party. Because a bank, again, back to the, before I said in, investing word, if, or just the, the banks, they own, they have your money, right? They can do whatever they want. They have this power because we need for the moment this third party mm-hmm. for trust, right? But all this trust given to these entities comes power and humans who are thinking in terms of profit will sooner or later make benefit of that, right? Mm-hmm. So Ethereum, you can build these applications on the top that are decentralized. Therefore, remove the toll corrector, <coughs> remove the trust, and therefore the value is allocated in a more optimal way. And if you buy ETH, if it's like buying the TCP IP mm-hmm. back then and you're going to accrue all the value of all the applications that are valuable that accrue on the top in the future. In 2000, in 2000, you would have to choose Google, you know, Amazon. It was very difficult. There was thousands of, thousands of companies. Today, you can just buy ETH mm-hmm. and you have a sort of index fund or ETF basket of the future, you know, of what's going to be built on the top of that. So can you can you explain all of that in a nutshell to a two-year-old for the folks at home? I mean, I would say the problem is that you need to explain what do people invest. You know, your money in the bank account is just losing purchasing power due to yeah. inflation every year. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you should not invest to build wealth or become rich, but just so that your money, you keep the same purchasing power in time. So can we kind of say like, okay, because um, there's a lot of people and it, we're, like we're both in the industry, right? And especially, you know, with what uh, we're doing with like, you know, the other company and uh, there's just people don't understand it. So would this be a good representation of trying to give the relation thing? So we have the internet, right? So the internet is Bitcoin, right? And then in, the internet then runs on many different um, companies within it, right? But Bitcoin's itself, mm-hmm. right? So internet's the internet, but then Ethereum would be, let's say Google or let's say Google because Google has different little platforms around it, underneath it, right? I would say, Ether- so first I would, I would separate Bitcoin. I would say it's kind of the thing that sparked the whole idea of the future of the internet. Mm-hmm but I would keep it in a separate bucket because it's sound money and okay. no other crypto or network is competing with that. Okay. Right? I would more say Ethereum is the base layer of the new internet. So either you say 
Ethereum is the TCP IP, but like what is TCP IP? Most people don't even know it. Yeah. It's the if the most basic layer where all the internet is built on, except if you buy ETH, mm -hmm. you can participate if this entire thing grows without having to bet on the next Google or the next Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. You could, to make it even simpler, Ethereum is the Android or iOS for decentralized application. What is that? It's basically where you have developers that Google and say, oh, now I want to build an application, anything. That makes more sense. I'm going to build something on the top of that, right? Mm -hmm. And the difference is you cannot buy iOS or you can't, I mean, you can buy Apple, but you can't, or, or Android, you can buy Google. But like, right now, like you have this opportunity to participate without taking too much risks. Mm -hmm. Obviously, your upside is going to be 1,000x, but I think the upside is still pretty big from here. Yeah. It's funny because we're just talking about crypto, but so many other things to talk Yeah. But it's an interesting one. Yeah, that is very interesting. So I, so basically, I read these two books and I was like, I'm just going to invest all my money in crypto. 50-50 Bitcoin ETH was like late 2018, early 19. It was a good timing, but by luck, purely by luck, kind of bottom of previous bear market, Bitcoin was 3.5K. ETH was like, yes, 150 or something. Then I wanted to make more Bitcoin because I understood I was like, this is so amazing, but I don't have cash anymore. I invested in everything. I want more Bitcoin. I made a lot of stupid things, <coughs> leverage trading on BitMEX, lost most of my crypto in the bear market, uh, in the crypto um, March 2020 crash mm -hmm. of uh, COVID. Low leverage, one, two, three X, but like liquidated everything. And then I still had like another 20-ish percent of my net worth in gold and stocks that went down a lot but i had so much conviction in crypto it was so obvious to me i was like man ETH at 80 bucks is like a steal because i know ETH last previous you know previous all-time high so 2018 top 1.4k you have like 15x mm. just to previous all-time high if we go higher i mean anyway, i bought the shit out of ETH, <laughs> but yeah. it made 50x and it was still with like a pretty big amount of money then it was early in solana early in luna Built a few another business in data in uh, Geneva. Then COVID hit. So mm -hmm. because COVID hit, we could do everything remotely. I wanted to go back to Asia since eight years. So I came back to Asia, but I couldn't because of crypto uh, or because of um, COVID. So I I stayed in Dubai for a while, a couple of months. Met a bunch of people who I had met on Twitter because on crypto everything happened on Twitter. So crypto Twitter, a bunch of VC guys, actually some of the biggest influencers right now, who you see every day tweeting. Or in Dubai, mm -hmm. spent three months three months with them. Is that because of the tax reasons as well? They're all there for crypto. Yeah, yeah, mostly. I mean, it's also because it attracts. <clears throat> they have uh, money rules, right? regulations, so you can have more uh, innovation. But I'd say like the real reason is obviously taxes, zero taxes, and you can pay everything with cash. Mm. So you can say you want to buy a million dollar Ferrari with cash. Can do it, like mm. literally. It's probably gonna change. Might have changed already in the last year and a half. But like, for you know, people who make a lot of money in crypto, you can buy flats with cash, or you can you have this uh, OTC. Like you can easily transform stable coins into can, mm. or buy with stable coins. You know, a flat or a car. Did you see that um, a couple of months ago? Dubai changed the tax laws. They go and they raise it to things like up to ten percent. 
ten percent you have to pay on um like your company taxes now. So the companies, right? But people personal people in general, yeah, 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 different. No. Still zero. Still, yeah. Still amazing. Like you, yeah. there's no other place. I live in Singapore, it's great for taxes, but like, it's very far from that. Mm-hmm. Hong Kong better than Singapore, Dubai like next level. If you want to be in a city, like, then you can go other places. Um but yeah, so like the crypto investment did amazing during COVID. I felt terrible because I had this imposter syndrome. Because everybody, a lot of people were suffering during COVID, losing jobs, depressed. And I was just there like... Having a good time. And- yeah, and my business was doing well because data analytics did really well during COVID. Can you explain to me what... Because now you've mentioned it twice and I'm not too sure what people actually would know what data analytics and what an actual data company actually what do you do with that so it comes from my internships in asia right my only work experiences were two internships for a large luxury company it's called richmond group they own carity awc montblanc piaget and nothing was working in there like in terms of you know when you have a company you're selling things right if you sell a ring for example you have a lot of rings you have an inventory you have a lot of boutiques Mm -hmm. When you do a sale, this is going to be recorded in a database. The, 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 the model, the size, everything. Maybe the customer, because you have some information about the customer. So you have all, when you grow your business, you start to have a lot of different systems. One is called a CRM, Customer Relationship Management. So it's to keep information about the customers. Mm-hmm. One is called an ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning System, which really because tracks the sales, the finances, the inventories. You have a bunch of systems and then it's very difficult because you have this data, this raw data in all these different systems. Often the data, there is problems in there. It's very difficult to have a clear picture of your company. What are you selling the best? Who are your best customers? What's the most profitable? You might sell something that's, you sell a lot of it, but it's very, it's not profitable. Especially at scale, you lose the track, you know? In the beginning, I do everything in an Excel spreadsheet, but then human errors and it's it's impossible to track. So use this system. How do you connect these systems? Basically, to make it simple, we build the brain and the eyes of the businesses. And the system would be kind of the organs where you have all the information, like raw, Mm -hmm. right? And then you build the brain where you have the intelligence, where you build what we call KPIs, key performance integrators, and then you build the eyes, which are how do you build reports or dashboards that enable you to see in the brain 360 degree and really help you move the needle and make better decisions. And that's what we do. Every company needs that. Most companies have people doing that, but it's never working for some reason. Because it's always run off human error. Is that correct? And then it's like... Oh, one of the reasons is that. The other reason is it's, it's a very IT-centric function. And that's the big problem. Because if IT people who don't speak business build systems, it's never going to be used by the business. Therefore, business will use Excel. But in a big company... It doesn't work anymore. So that's the problem. It's, it, the main problem is a communication problem between IT and business. Mm-hmm. They don't speak the same language. So if you're from the business, which I was from, in my internship, I was doing that. I was doing sixth floor, we were business, fifth floor, we were IT. I was the only one who was taking the elevator or the stairs 10 times a day to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And I realized no one does that. No one talks to people. Therefore, no, so it's stupid, but like- They sit in the room and uh, they sit in the- Yeah, because most people in the company come there to make money. They're not coming there to improve things. Yeah. If you want to, if you see like, man, this doesn't work, 
like we 30 people spending 12, 14 hours a day and sometimes even in the weekend to do this shit that should be automated. Mm. And that doesn't give us a clear picture overall. And then I cannot click on a country and a brand to understand what's going on. Ah, uh-huh. oh, I'm going to try to do something. Do you agree then? Because I mean, I, we've experienced that as well. Like in, in my past mis- businesses about communication. Do you think communication is one of the reasons why companies fail or like, or they like, they, they're not. It's one of the reasons why relationships fail, why companies, why everything fails. Communication, because we're all human. We all have a different program and lens that we've been programmed in our life and we all understand things differently. And if you don't have a lot of self-awareness and low, try to lower your ego, it's kind of not going to work. Plus. In the relationship, people are more incentivized because they want it to work. In a job, you know, like, especially in bigger companies, like 10% of the employees do all the job, the other 90% don't do much, mm-hmm. can kind of hide. Most people are not incentivized to, if they're just incentivized to do the minimum. So, like, they're not going to try to even improve things, obviously, like, oh, man, I need to talk to this geek there who is weird and not nice or it's probably very nice but i don't even want to no mm. they don't do it so it's just that basically isn't that an interesting thing about like employees and that that it's like how do you create <clears throat> how do you create a culture where incentivization is basically inside your culture and it's like it's seated in a good foundation so that people actually feel that if i spend another hour of work yeah am i going to get Again, that's and that's all it is. It's like if I'm gonna go, if I'm gonna buy my girlfriend flowers, yeah, am I gonna get good sex, you know, or am I gonna get more love or something else, which I don't really want to say because it's too. I haven't done enough episodes, but but in general, it's the same thing as you know an employee. Like if I'm gonna do this work, it's like me giving something to my boss or the company, but am I getting anything really in return? Even like a praise. So there is two ways to think about it. That's absolutely true. The praise and all that stuff. I think the other way kind of above to think about it is like, how do you make sure people respect you? Same in a relationship. The girl, if she doesn't disrespect you, which is very difficult, because huh? women think very differently and they're going to try to test you, mm-hmm. right? You want to, to make sure that you're respected. And I mean... Because you can be very nice and praised, but if they don't respect you, it's same as in your relationship. You get fucked. Right? Yeah. One way or another. Right? So, two ways that I thought for business. For relationship, difficult. I'm not the next thing. <laughs> uh, I'm also not a business expert, obviously, but I thought about that. And how do you incentivize everyone to be at their best, right? There's two things. One is you only work with entrepreneurs. So you have no employees because and that's how I switched some business. In the beginning, at some point where like business, 25 people, the one in London that was doing well. But everybody's like, oh man, what's my career path? I don't earn enough. It's never enough. And you're there and you're like, man, you get your salary every 25th of the month. You don't realize that for you to get your salary, I need to find clients, sell projects. Make sure that you guys do deliver the freaking project. Get paid because no one freaking pays ever. You need to use lawyers, they pay late, blah, blah, blah. Like, and then on the top of that, 
you're pissing me off with your bullshit. Obviously, like, it's normal and, like, they need to feel safe. But, like, hey, man, like, you don't understand the reality of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Like, so at some point I was like, how do I switch my entire business? So everybody's incentivized. And for me, it was, I'm going to go and find the best employees in some companies that do what we do, but in more remote places. And then I'm going to help them start their own company, fund them, whatever, give them the clients, right? Mm-hmm. But they're their own boss. And they we have a business relationship. If you do a great job, there's, you know, you have contracts, basics, obviously, but the contract should not even exist. The lawyers, I had a guest on my podcast, mm-hmm. Rodrigo, who you know. Mm-hmm. Lawyers should not even exist. They should not, because in the ideal world, even it's they just talk about business. In the ideal world, we have a client, we deliver a great job. Because we deliver a great job, you pay us because you probably want more job in the future from us. Mm-hmm. And we'll come back because you paid us. And it's simple, right? Yeah. So like this relationship of like you're an entrepreneur, you have your company and you have maybe some employees or not, or you outsource yourself, whatever. If you do a great job, I'll pay you. And I'll probably pay you fairly because I have a long-term... Obviously, you want to find the people who have a very long-term... They play the long-term game. Uh-huh. You know, they're not going to screw you in the short-term. They understand, like, sometimes you do some sacrifices and everything. But, like, you build an entire company that's kind of, like, decentralized, remote, and with a, basically a bunch of entrepreneurs. And, like, oh, I don't, I don't care. I don't, I'm not giving you a salary. I give you a budget. You do the thing in one hour or in one year, I don't care. You deserve because budget right mm-hmm. like if you're amazing if you do the job very quickly you should never be paid less that's a big problem in consulting i'm going to make the thing last longer because i'm going to pay more other nonsense you create more value if you deliver the thing more quickly yeah but there but for some reason people are paying paid less right yeah so you build a network of entrepreneurs and everybody has the same incentive because they're all entrepreneurs they're going to they're not they're not going to care about the time they work mm-hmm. they're going to be work sometimes like our clients are like did I sleep ever? I'm like, yeah, but like, because everybody's on it's 2 a.m. They need to fix the problem. They do it. It's their company, right? That's one way. The other way, if you have employees, probably you build an amazing personal brand. You do podcasting or whatever. You are always on social. People respect you. They see you. Are uh, you talking with these people? Are uh, you inspire me? You do all this content. Are uh, you made? You did well already. You build these companies. All that stuff. People respect you. There's this on top of that though. Um, 50 minutes. 50? Yeah. yeah. By the way, there was a good point. In it. I always knew that that's the way I would like teach the thing. In the Do you respect it? Or, or you mean the, the entrepreneur one? That. Yeah. yeah. You, it, like Ricky's always, and keep this rolling because I don't really don't care. Ricky's always like, hats off to Ricky. Ricky's always like thought about that. <clears throat> He's always like, how do I one? And that's what I'm trying to like teach you though is you're trying to find entrepreneurs but there's very hard sometimes some people just need a bit of direction Mm. as well but they need a leader and like ricky's a great leader but he needs to like really take that step to like try and lead more and take the leap of faith where okay i see potential in this guy this this guy or girl and he wants to get shit done and he has the the potential and then you got to be like, okay, well, now I've really got to be a leader and, and teach him and show him the way on how I perform so that I can raise him up. And then that's going to allow like Ricky to be able to go off and do other things, make, get more clients, expand his business and all that mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah. And you, 
there's many more people who have the entrepreneurial fi fiber or don't know, like the thing in there in themselves, but you need to help them out one way or another, you know? This is one thing I like about Gary. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you because I, I meant to say it just before. When you were saying about the social media and the podcast and stuff like that, I've looked up to Gary V for like a long time. I'm very good friends with Andy, who is his um, president for V Friends. And I had a Skype session with Gary about, I think it would have been about 10, 11 years ago. And I was chatting to him and then I, was, I, I just asked him, I was like, how do I know what I'm supposed to do, right? And then he says, um, make sure you, by the time you're 30, try as many different industries. If you're not like 100% certain in what you're doing now, go try in different industries. Industries. So I, I invested into a bunch of different industries and started different companies in different industries. And like now, kind of what I know now, I know an overall very good presence on like how to build a company. Mm. Um, but one thing that I looked up to him is that even though he was doing all these podcasts, built Vanu Media, everything else, V Friends, he would also have 700 employees and every single day of the week, he would log in five minutes with every single one of his employees and have just a five-minute heart-to-heart going, I don't want to talk about work or anything like that. Just how are you? Are you okay? Is there anything yeah. I can do for you? And just taking that five minutes when he's already up here and you might be in the mail room and you get to have five minutes with him, the whole difference. it means you actually he, give a fuck. Or you're really good at strategy and understanding that, oh, if I just give a bit of my time to, to everyone, they're going to be 10 times more motivated. Therefore, my company is going to be 10 times better. They have. It's probably very genuine about that. Mm -hmm. But absolutely. Like for me, for my first company, I was also listening a lot to him like for the first two years. Mm -hmm. I, after, after a while, I was like, oh, I'm tired of his message. It's always the same. And it's a bit too aggressive, you know. But uh, definitely a big influence early on, mm -hmm. that's for sure. But the influence and the, the respect is like the most important if you want to have your own employees at scale. Because they, mm -hmm. they need to be inspired by you. And if you're the dude who is always like either in your ivory ivory tower or like no one knows about whatever, like versus there you're this dude who is just out there and people admire, not only your own employees will want to do more, give more, work more for you, but also you will attract a lot of people from outside. They will want to work for you and not for other people. Mm -hmm. Personal branding, like a hundred percent. So I think that's the two ways I think that uh, makes the most sense for a relationship. I wish I could tell you, but <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. So let's talk about personal branding then, because and and let's get onto like what your podcast is and what you're doing there. Um, I noticed that like everything that you do um, for the sh the show is is based off your name. And then your name as in, and presenting like, mm. you know, the show. Um, so do you want to like explain yeah, yeah. that? That was an interesting one because, I mean, back to like, you know, I was spending a few months in Dubai and then I met this dude called Kevin, like me, a few years older. He had worked, he had built the entire Celsius network community from scratch. Celsius network was this like pretty substantial company in crypto that was doing amazing until it didn't. And we really liked each other because we had like same mindset, very genuine, honest, transparent people. And in crypto, most people just either scammers, you know, they're opportunistic, like they're not, mm -hmm. it attracts a lot of bright people, but also a lot of bad people. And he was like, man, I just love you. I want to do something with you. Let's build a business together. Like, I love your data analytics company thing. We did so well in crypto. Like, 
let's give something back to crypto. And I was just thinking, yeah, let's do it, but I don't know what. And then after a few months, I just thought, oh man, you know how to build a community. You built a big one in crypto. A couple of hundred thousand people in crypto is a lot. Uh, let's build our own community. Unbiased, not paid by anyone. We don't need the money. And we just start to educate people on different products, decentralized applications or companies and so on and so forth. That's how we started this whole thing. It was called Yield Labs. Because we, want, because we, we loved investing, we loved long-term investing without crypto. You know, you have your S&P 500, 8% every year, you reinvest, compound. Mm -hmm. And then we think, we thought crypto is compounding on steroids. You have the, the capital, you know, the, 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 like your capital is like going up and down much more. Mm -hmm. So compounding much faster. And then the yields are much better. So we call this the Yield Labs and we're just like doing a community around yield, but also ar around a lot of other things. And uh, we grew this community like that and we started, a, that's how this, the podcast started. Because I asked him, hey, how do we build a community? How do we even start? He said, oh, let's do every Sunday an AMA. Ask me anything. He did the first one because I had no idea even how to talk. My English was and it's still like not amazing. So I was just like, I'm oh, going to be me being out there like talking to 100 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people. No. He did the first one, 45 minutes presentation, well made. Second week, he did another one and then burned out because he had spent the last three years giving everything for free bang, to everyone. Bang, bang. You know, they give the hand, they take the arm, he was dead. I was like, fuck everyone, I'm out of here. So I'm like, okay, cool, we're starting a new community. But the guy is out. What do we do? Ah, oh, and I don't want to, sp I don't have enough brains to do 52, you know, one per week. So in a year, 52 presentation about thing to teach people. But I could go and ask founders and CEOs in crypto to come and I'm asking questions and they kind of do the job for me. And then we go to the community and then we see if it's a cool app or project to use or to invest. Sorry, like that. First guest was Matthew Canteri, the, the, the MD of Anchor Protocol. <laughs> Fourth guest was Doc Hoon from Luna, Terra Luna. Fifth guest was the co-founder of Real Vision, who also was a mega Luna fan. He had 95%. Is this all in Dubai as well? Uh, all online. Oh, so are you, this still online. was during um, the COVID. Everything online with like my AirPods, a shitty camera. Like the one with Doc Poon, Yeah, it looks disgusting. But like we had like a thousand people live yeah. watching the watching, thing. Yeah. Obviously like bull market, Luna going crazy. This had enabled us like to grow like decent following. Like it's not huge, but for crypto again, like we know we went from like 5K followers to maybe 30, 40K followers in like a couple of months. Mm -hmm. because it was good timing and everything. Then everything crashed. Everybody got destroyed. The yield narrative got absolutely murdered because all the yield was basically <coughs> leverage. Yeah. Oh. All the yield <coughs> was leverage. Shit. Because even, you know, Mashinsky, all these guys were saying, oh, only 10% of the yield you get, the activity we make is long short. The rest is just arbitrage. We give it. It's a, it was all bullshit. It was all bullshit. Mm. It's over-collateralized, all bullshit. Everybody got lost all their money on the platform, on FTX, on Celsius, everywhere, on BlockFi. It was all shit. So like basically our entire narrative was fucked. Yield Labs, yeah. fuck. And we had this following of like maybe 40K people. Everybody got depressed, lost a lot of money. Also got massively wrecked, obviously, on Luna and a bunch of other things. 
and there's been a few months. I mean, I was still doing my data analytics company, so that was always like great. But and then I realized towards end of 2022, I realized we have decent. I mean, some of the biggest names in crypto, and we're doing this like tourists on Twitter because we have maybe 30k followers or whatever, just like. Hey, Dokun, hey, Remy Teto, hey, boom, boom. Okay, come on the podcast. DMs, okay, come in one week, dude, done. So we have decent names, decent community size, but we're just doing a podcast every two or three months, like, like tourists. I know I'm really good. The thing I'm good at is sales, build, dev, networking. Mm-hmm. I can get even better crypto people and I can branch out of crypto and get the best entrepreneurs and athletes and whatever. And do a weekly podcast and make this an actual business beside my data analytics company. And this is going to, this is the best thing you can do for any business because you're building, you're talking to the biggest people who are in your network afterwards. You would never have a chance to talk to them otherwise. And then you can do data analytics business with them, do marketing business with them, all that stuff because you have this relation, because you go, you approach them, you're not asked, you're not the 10th company of the day in their email saying, hey, we're selling data analytics or hey, pay us. You're not asking anything. You say, okay, I asked you one hour or two hours of your time, but like we, you can talk to our audience, 50,000 people. Look, this is co-founder of this 14 billion company you came before. Your company is worth only 1 billion. Come, mm-hmm. like, let's have a cool conversation. It'll be fun. And now it's all in studio, top quality production. Like they're all impressed and they're like huge, huge people. Mm-hmm. Like next few months is like the biggest people coming. And it goes very quickly because if the whole thing is well made and you make them feel, you know, good and look good and kind of play with their ego and like you, it, the quality of your question is the quality of your mind. So if you ask great question and you have a great conversation, they're like, this guy is smart. Who do you want me to introduce you to? And what? L- let me talk, let me ask you then. So what makes it a good question? I think it depends on the context. And that's the thing, so much preparation. So there is a few things. So much preparation comes into the podcast to understand their background, you know, because the more you know about them, mm-hmm. the more you can ask like specific questions. I do pre-podcast calls with all of them to understand 30 minutes to understand what's the things that you know the most about, but no one knows that you're knowledgeable about. You, know, you could be a mega entrepreneur, but maybe you love arts or meditation or music. Let's talk about that, mm-hmm. you know? Also, you need to be extremely present during the conversation, listen very attentively. And this means your brains need to work really well. Therefore, you need to eat clean, you need to go to gym, you need to have enough sleep. Your lifestyle needs to be amazing, like drinking too much, not good. Especially for someone like me who is not native speaking, you know, in English. I'm not a native speaker, so like it's very, it's more difficult to translate a thought into words, right? Mm -hmm. And it's all about that in podcasting. So like there's all these things and then like all together, last week we had the founder, CEO of Antler, co-founder of Zalora on the podcast. He knows everyone. He knows co-founder. Of, he's going to introduce me to co-founder of Facebook, co-founder of Spotify, all these dudes. I didn't even ask him. He said, oh, it's amazing. Do you want to talk to this dude? This. Beef, I spent four days preparing for these two hours. Mm-hmm. Four days. Enough sleep, 
gym, making sure I'm not too stressed out because if you're a bit of anxiety or stress, your thoughts think differently. Mm-hmm. Do a lot of research. Everything was for that. Step until 11.30 a.m. that morning at 2 p.m. to be perfect. Took a lot of nootropics, herbs, mm-hmm. because I'm deep into biohacking. That would be another subject that would take like three hours to talk about. <laughs> All this stuff to be like two hours. The guy's like, we're in the place, you know, in the flow. Uh-huh. And it's going to be amazing. And obviously then quality production, we do trailers, all that stuff like that to make it sure that it looks like really amazing. And uh, yeah, the reason why, your question was, why Kevin and not... So we started with Yield Labs. Yield Labs brand got fucked because the Yield narrative got fucked. Then I thought, I mean, we call it when shift happens because shit, shift happens, shit happens. Yeah. Which is very smart, bro. Like, I mean, what it just shift happens, but like it was too difficult, too, too many of them, too many podcasts that are all... They have the name, but like they stopped doing podcasts two years ago. That's another thing. Most podcasts, they don't go past one or three episodes. If you do 20 episodes, if you do 20 episodes, you're in the top 0.01% of the podcast. All right, Ricky, we've got four more episodes today. So you (laughs) will be already, but they have your name. So I was like, fuck, when shift happens, let's call it when shift happens. And um, they were thinking, do we brand the whole thing when shift happens or Kevin? And they were just thinking, I'm a Swiss person. And for me, I don't like to show off too much. Like, I don't like to talk too much. Yeah, myself. Like, I'm going to do some videos where I talk about stuff, experience. But I think it's a bit rude because I'm Swiss. Like I, in Switzerland, you're very neutral and you don't challenge people and you don't show yourself too much. You know, you don't talk about money, all this stuff. You don't do it. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like very difficult. It's the opposite of American people. This is my net worth. Look, the evolution. I'm amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. But I realized people follow people for people, you know. I follow, there's so many podcasts out there. I need to like the, obviously I'm going to discover this podcast because one of the guests is someone I follow and I love. But then I like this dude because this dude is interesting, different, has a good personality, teaches me something. And this dude needs to be out there for that with his name and all that stuff. Which by the way for crypto is not good because people knowing your name in crypto much bigger risk for hacks. I already got hacked once for like 40K in a coffee in Singapore, like in half a second. Mm-hmm. Like, so you, all this stuff, you know, you have to think about. But at the end of the day, it was just like personal branding around your name because you can't hide. You can't do like these guys on CryptoDog, on Twitter, whatever. But like, mm-hmm. first is weird. Second, like, yeah, it's going to, crypto is great, but Twitter, Twitter is great, but it's going to stay Twitter. No one on Instagram is going to follow or YouTube will follow someone who's like pseudonymous or anonymous. Probably in the future they will, but like it's we're still far from now, so yeah. So that's why basically. Uh, mm-hmm. But it took some time. Like, it took a lot of time. It took many, many, many months of me. Like I don't know if I wanted to, Kevin, blah blah blah. Like I'm gonna sound like I'm a prick, like arrogant, and I'm just there talking, teaching people things when I'm just 31. I don't know shit about life, you know. And that's another thing. Like I was always saying in my life, I'm never gonna tell anything to anyone online before I make it. Mm-hmm. Most people. And that's how you should do it. You 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 should uh, 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 you should document your journey. So you basically no one, and then I mean you you never be gonna be anyone if you think it, like in big terms. But like then you did some great things, and people followed the thing, and you got the following. For me, I was always like, if I do that, I'm a scammer because I'm just there like telling people like b- basically I'm faking it uh, faking it until, until I make it, which is what you need to do in every business or anything because you build momentum, right? 
but I would rather like do my own data company talking with nerds who are like 50, 6 years old, like people who buy from the buyers are mm, all yeah. guys without hair. At least the opposite of like the sexy thing of social media, like go, but it's good for money. And then I'm going to invest and make and kind of retire on paper. Then I can talk because then I'm, I have the credibility to talk about something without feeling personally. And that's a problem with me mm-hmm. that I'm a scammer, right? That's not how the social media game works. Like, you, you talk about stuff, people are going to be inspired whether no matter how, where you are in the journey. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's uh, the whole thing. And now I was like, and yeah, I made it really well, kind of retired on paper, then got fucked last year. So I, I'm, I'm not retired anymore. But anyway, the retirement I realized is not something you want to get to because boring as fuck and it's depressing. So like all this thing about the money chasing and these numbers, it doesn't make sense because like if you reach your numbers, you better reach them like not too early because if you reach them too early, you're going to be lost. You're going to be alone. You're going to be lonely. None of your friends understand. None of your friends care. Mm-hmm. You can travel, what, for the next 50 years, but like who travels with you? Like, they're all working. They all have their nine to five or nine to 10 or whatever. Like it's not, that's why Elon Musk's mission is to go to the moon. Like we need to find a greater mission. Otherwise you, you're going to lose your drive. And if you lose your drive, especially as an entrepreneur, Man, your life is over, man. <laughs> it makes no sense. It's like the whole thing about chasing these money goals, complete nonsense. Like, obviously, you want to have some to have a great life. Mm-hmm. The more, the better. But, like, it should never make you change your life habits. Otherwise, you're on the wrong path. So, yeah. Does that mean, though, if you retire, you could just, like, cool. I mean, retire is a, a weird word when you're young. Because, like, when you're older, that's when you go travel and you enjoy life and you, you basically do fuck all. But like as a 31-year-old retiring, doesn't retiring just mean that, okay, now I don't have to work, but I choose to work? In theory. Semi-retired. In theory. Yeah. When you're not there, that's what you think it is. When you're there, at least the first time I'd say, okay, I had a company doing really great, and but I was making so much money in crypto. Mm-hmm. I was like, and I'm not going to give you numbers because like it's, it's not necessary. But like the company was doing amazing, like more amazing than most people will ever be doing, right? But compared to the crypto, you're on another planet. You're not on planet. You don't understand. So you lose sense of reality. So I was just thinking, like why would I take this one hour call this week to make other stuff money Mm -hmm. when I can make so much more in crypto by doing nothing? (laughs) I can just go travel. You become lazy and complacent. Right, you, it's very difficult. The only way, at least for me, maybe, but I think for most people, to retire without retiring is what Berwin is doing. You make money, you dump everything in the stock market or in real estate, and you become normal or poor again, and you have to make it again. Mm-hmm. And yes, the thing, the money is always going to be there, but you act as if it doesn't exist. If it, if you act as if it exists, you're finished. Like why? And I've seen my best, some of my best friends, previous podcast guests, guys who made like 50, 50 million selling their company, like very good values, hardworking entrepreneurs. Same. Same. Just they're like, bro, I can put my money in S&P 500, I'll make four or five mil a year. Why would I raise another 100 mil and do this fund? Or why would I build this? They lost the drive. So like, it, it, it's, and it's, I think it's normal. Probably the first time, maybe then you get like fucked once or twice. So you realize, oh man, I'm, 
maybe you realize oh, I'm not happy and I need to do something. Probably, but what Bernie is doing, and we were talking about on the podcast, is very smart. Is you know your money is never going to be made. It's going to be made. You know, work, 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 and one date. You know, and then you have to be not too greedy. Take the money, dump it somewhere. Properties, stock market. Mm-hmm. Act as if it's not there, and then say, my company or my new company or my my job. I need to live off this salary from my company or my job, and only would I be able to live a better life if I improve in my job, if I improve in my company mm-hmm. and we make more money, right? And obviously, like sometimes you go on holidays, you can go crazy, but then you get back to a normal life where you don't go to crazy. Otherwise, I think you're very at risk of getting bored. And the problem is like, there is no, you know, talk about passive income, all that stuff, but it doesn't really exist. If you lose sight of your investments or of your capital, you're going to lose it one way or another. It's going to go. So you should always be focused on new things and always have your brain working. So like the, it's an utopia, the, the, the retirement, like I think, and to be honest, like after what I experienced. So, so you're so big on crypto then, like be what's, what we invested? Do you feel like, cause I mean, let's, let's give a little example on how people can see it. Cause what the, the average person sees with crypto and when they invest is that it goes up and then everyone loses their money. Technically, they're not losing their money. They just don't know how the bull cycles work, right? So what's the kind of education on, should we talk about dollar cost averaging on that kind of mindset? I think it's a very interesting question because I used to think the, th- the same. I used to apply dollar cost averaging and hodl, you know, like hold on for dear life, mm-hmm. never sell. That you take from traditional finance, you build wealth like that. Every month, I take 10% or 20% of my salary. I put in S&P 500, an index fund. NASDAQ for 30 years, I'm going to be retired. And I never sell. That's how I'm going to outperform everything else, right? In crypto, unfortunately, I don't think it's true. I think hodling is a complex meme, is a scam. Except if you hodl Bitcoin or ETH only mm-hmm. in a cold wallet. That's what I learned massively. Like, like The rest, most of the crypto... Explain to me what a cold wallet is. So a cold wallet is a... Is a, is a is a wallet that is not linked to the internet. That So therefore, it's, it's the only way to really truly own your money. And it's the, the reason why Bitcoin was invented was for that. You own your own money. It's so, not in a bank. It's not managed by a third party. It's your own money. If your country gets attacked and you have to go to war, and if you don't go to war, someone will freeze your bank account and take it. If you have Bitcoin, you can leave your country and take all your money with you. So it's kind of like a prepaid Visa or MasterCard where you could just like put money onto it and no one can actually like say if it's a travel card, but like- Except, you can, except you can, that, you except that MasterCard or Visa is, there is a bank account somewhere that can be frozen by government if you don't follow the rule or whatever. Bitcoin, no one on a cold wallet, no one can ever touch it except you, mm-hmm. which means on the flip side that you can also lose it and no one will ever be able to get it back for you. So you have the responsibility for your own money, mm-hmm. right? So, the really interesting point here is, is this is dollar cost average and hodl. I would not do that. I would not, because people who did all the right things don't know crypto that well. But only Bitcoin and ETH dollar cost average for years, 
and kept them in FTX, Celsius, BlockFi, Celsius, FTX, backed by Temasek, uh, you know, uh, Canadian pension funds, like multi-billion businesses, hundreds of millions of investment. You do all the right things, but there is so much leverage building up in the bull market than when the leverage like winds off, everything implodes. And so your Bitcoin and ETH that you just did the right way, accumulated for years, every month, don't think about it, don't care because it's gonna go up in time. I apply traditional principle of investing to Bitcoin and ETH is the right way to do it. If in a cold wallet, yes, but the cold wallet, most people I think will never do that because it's too complicated, mm. right? And intimidating. And if you have too much money on it, which even happened to me at some point, I was like, I don't want to have billions of dollars on a cold wallet. If I die, how is my how are my parents gonna get that? No one will, you know? So you end up using these crypto banks, but they all imploded because in the bear market, all the leverage went down and everything was based on leverage and they all went bankrupt. And if you didn't have time to take your Bitcoin or ETH out or you or worse, most people who did the right things, they didn't even know this was happening because they don't care. They just say, I'm gonna buy Bitcoin ETH every month and I'm not gonna care. That's the problem. Mm. Like, so honestly, dollar cost average hodl, no. I would I would I would buy now because it's like much lower, you know, 60, 70%, 80% down. I would buy only top quality. For people who don't understand what they're doing, only Bitcoin and ETH. <laughs> I have a few more coins, but only six. And then I would wait two years and I would just dump them in 2025. Mm-hmm. When everything, everybody go crazy. Everybody talks about it. Now people, now you don't, if you tell people you're in crypto, people are laughing, you know. People who are in crypto say they're in finance because they don't want to be laughed at. Like, I mean, less than four years ago, but still. And for me, it's surprising because I'm like, man, it's so clear that this stuff is going to mm-hmm. go back up. Even the other day, three days ago, I had my friend who sold his company for 50 million. He's a smart dude investing everywhere. He texts me and he's like, Kevin, do you think crypto is going to go back up? I don't see the need for it. And I'm like, 100% will. And then he answered, why, lol? And I, I forgot to answer. It was yesterday or two days. I still haven't for- answered it. That's how depressed or bored people are and they don't believe in it, you know? Uh-huh. So you buy now. And then when everybody's talking about it in every newspaper and like the celebrities are buying the next version of the NFTs and all that stuff, or the next version of what's out there which hasn't been invented yet. You need to sell, but it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Do you want to buy now and everybody thinks it's shit? 100%. Or people think it's going to go to 12K or or that uh, Binance is going to go, go, go down now. And all. Mm-hmm. No, you don't want to, but that's when you buy. Do you want to sell when everybody's like, when, when you made so much money by doing nothing in the last two years, like, oh, man, just another 2X and I'm at that number. And then another 3X. You don't sell. It's very difficult. But I think that's the game. Mm-hmm. This is the crazy thing about like understanding the bull market. So like it's predominantly run on the halving and then you know that it's like it's, our history is prepared. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. But if it happens again. I think it would, this will be the last one. I honestly think this is going to be I think there's going to be more. I think there will be at least two or three more cycle because I think people are gambling addicts. I think crypto is a 24-7 gigantic casino mm-hmm. accessible by anyone on the planet. Mm-hmm. You're actually right. There's probably going to be like yeah, two, two or three more for I sure. think like People are gambling uh, addicts. Everybody's a bit of a gambling addict at heart. Everybody wants to become rich overnight. Yeah. And because it's 24-7 accessible by anyone who has a, lap, uh, a phone, uh-huh. 
how many people are using crypto today? You, yeah. I don't know, a few hundred million. I don't know. I don't even know. Maybe multiple of that is like multiple wallets per person. Mm-hmm. More and more people will join. And just because more and more people will join, it's going to be up and down and up and down. And yeah, I think you, I believe in this thing like massively, but now I see it as a 24-7 casino mm-hmm. with like mega bubbles and burst. And I, I don't want to buy the bottom and sell the top. I want to be... I made 80x of my entire portfolio last bull Now I'm aiming 12x. So I'm like more, I'm buying like more ETH and more normal stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm putting a bit more money based on my, you know, like goals. I'm less greedy because I got massively fucked. But the only way like you learn is like that is that you go through these cycles, you get completely wrecked. Mm-hmm. And hopefully like you still have some chip like to play with afterwards. You don't throw yourself from a balcony. Like, literally, there's a lot of people who kill themselves after Luna, FX. And you learn from your mistakes. And uh, if you don't, it means like you have... If I don't learn from my mistakes next time, it means I I don't have anything to play with this game, basically. Because it's a game. It's like... It's like you have to acknowledge it's like a gambling addiction, but 10 times worse because it's 24-7. Yeah. And it attracts gamblers. And it happens every, like, four years as well. Like, and you're on that big scale. When you're looking at, like, Wall Street, Wall Street has its its dump, like, every 10-ish years or something like that. And But everyone just thinks that's just the, that's the world economic. Whereas when you understand that everything is so leveraged in it's crypto... Like, it's psychological games. And yeah. But it's very weird when you experience it. When you read the theory, you're like, yes understand then you are in the thing you can't sell yeah first time you can't sell you're too greedy dude when you're making yeah because i remember the first time the first because i got into crypto in 2017 before the run i've been trading crypto i've been trade i've been a trader since 2014 i was running stock options yeah back in 2014 then got into crypto in 17 and then when i was like using leverage through 2017 and seeing what was going on i was like I like always know like I'm gonna like make good money, but then seeing that opportunity, I was making a shit ton of money like on option trading. Mm. But then seeing how leverage works in crypto and understanding how that works, can be money. It is get like wrecked sooner or later. They have insider information. They trade against you. You can make a lot of money for a while, but then you're gonna get wrecked. Like it's just proven. Yeah. Or if you want to make a lot of money, you probably need to have been wrecked like five, ten times, lost all your money a couple of times. Then you have certain oh. rules that you don't rule. That yeah. You don't, yeah. I don't know. For me, yeah, the greed is like complicated. Like I was without leverage. Like my biggest PNL, green PNL in one day was like one point two million without leverage. Okay. Like, and like anyone would say, and that's one of my portfolio that was much bigger. And anyone would say, like, why would you not sell? Why would you not buy some? Like I lost. I don't know, in, just in Luna alone, I lost like the equivalent of like 30 to 60 villas in Bali. Like literally. Wow. How much at 20% per year can you make on that? A lot. One, one meal. Like it's ridiculous. Just in passing it. Yeah. All these things such as, yeah, but you learn like, and you, if, I mean, if you don't learn, it means you don't have anything to play. Or you're stupid. You know, yeah. you're the definition of like insanity. Like you're the gambler. <laughs> yeah. And you get something from the gambling, but like at some point, like it's picky, it becomes dangerous to be yeah. honest. Well, I mean, let's help. I mean, this has been a really good podcast, bro. Like, really good show, like, listening to you. 
Um, I really want us to kind of roll it in because we're going to be finishing yeah, up soon. Um, my friend in yeah, it's really like, bro, what are we doing? But like, I mean, you've got so much. Experience. I have so many more things to talk about. We can we so come back when they come again. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. We get another bullet to kill her. Just, yeah. Just, yeah. So, um, but like, let's talk it from a business point of view. Like you've, um, what's finishing off? What's, what's the advice that you give to someone when, uh, they want to build their own business on like, you've talked about communication is important. So that's number one. How does someone really build themselves up in a business? What's the most important mm. things? But then also if you're an employee, how do you build yourself up as well? I want to ask those two questions to you. For the business one is, it's so stupid and simple, but like, just do it. And it's very difficult because, for example, you want to start you want to sell a product, like sustainable product or like a shampoo or whatever. Most people will say, oh, I need to build a brand, build a website, order these products, have a, you know, like a place where I have all these inventory. I'm like, no, bro, fuck no. No. What product do you, do you sell? You buy five of them, you go sell them to your friends. Does anyone want to buy this thing? Yes, no. Like you're just testing your idea, you know? But for most people, they don't have this idea. They don't have any practicality in their business. They look at all the wrong stuff. Like no one cares about your marketing, your website, your like in the beginning. Like it's just how you sell something. Yes, no. I can say it at the margin. Can you say it more expensive than you buy it? You know. Mm -hmm. Or if it's a service. Like or if you don't know what to do, like just go on Upwork or Fiverr, offer your services for free. Do five or ten clients. And then you have some experience in portfolio and you'll see who's interested by your design services or whatever, you know? Mm. Yeah, but I don't want to work for free. But like uh, your client, you, you think that entrepreneurship or having your own company is freedom. It's not true. Like you're, you are the ultimate, you think as an employee, you're the bitch of your boss, right? Mm -hmm. As an entrepreneur, you're the ultimate bitch of your clients. You are. Like because without your clients, you're dying. Like you're nothing. And they decide if they want your thing or not. So like you better be you better be ready to offer tons of value for free and have very low ego and learn and learn and learn, right? Mm -hmm. That's why I would say like start, have low ego, and uh, be very practical. Mm -hmm. Can I make money? That's the only thing that matters. Like all the thing about, you know, raising millions or hundreds of millions and having mega losses with Uber and all these companies we work, it is probably gone, like, you know? Or most companies are not like that. Most companies, you have to turn a profit, otherwise you die. Mm -hmm. So you better be profitable from the beginning. Right? And then you want to scale, whatever, fine. Raise funds. Okay. And when you raise funds, you, people will take you seriously. Ah, oh, you have already a concept. You've been testing it. Ah, oh, like, it's not luck, mm -hmm. you know? An employee, you want to become a business person? I mean, I'll give you an example of some guys I was working with. That life is the best example. But like, you need to be, I think, honestly, when you're starting, whether an employee or an intern or even an entrepreneur, you need to be lucky to find the right person who's going to believe in you and give you a chance. And, but again, luck, you know, doesn't happen like that. Like, it's when preparation meets opportunity. Like, mm -hmm. this is like, this is how things work. So you, you you build your own luck. Like by trying and failing and having 10 to 100,000 no and two yes, like you you were lucky. Yeah, like no, not really. So you find these people and then you need to identify them and be like, oh, this person 
probably also got helped in the past by someone and wants to also help. I'd obviously find something, a win-win with me, right? <laughs> and this person is going to give you uh, an internship or a job or something to improve your skills and is open enough for you to become maybe a contractor at some point or to make the relationship evolve from employee to... Because at the end of the day, employee is just a contract. I'm going to give you some salary and some benefits and some insurance. Mm -hmm. Maybe you want to become your own boss, but then you get maybe more money, but you pay your insurance, you pay your own benefits, all that stuff, right? So like, are you open enough to like see me grow and maybe go on my own, but still say a client, become a client instead of be being my boss? Mm -hmm. That's how you, that's how I would start. Like slow. And then if I'm really good, I'm building some sort of leverage internally because they need me. No one is irreplaceable. No one. But people like convenience, you know, like when things are convenient, uh, I know this person is good. Fine. Oh, you want to go on your own or you want to have your own schedule. Oh, you're not my employee anymore. Maybe your own boss. And then you can maybe work on some other things, you know, at the same time. So I would try to do something like that. Find someone who recognizes you, gives you some chances, and also is open-minded enough to let you go, but keeping you there. It's just like a, the contract form, you know? And then you can start like that and mm -hmm. grow from there. But start. You know, do a podcast is shit, like on shit camera with the AirPods, and do another, and do, and do another. And then improve. 1% improvement every day at the end of the year is that 360% improvement is like 10,000% mm -hmm. improvement because called compounding. Yeah. Obsess about every detail to become better. People will notice and be patient. After a few months or a few years, you need to survive for the first year or two or three. And it's going to be tough, but like people recognize quality if it's really quality. And they will want, they will want to be a client. They will want to invest they will ask you can i invest all that stuff right mm -hmm. but yeah patience and uh start patience obsession to detail one percent improvement every day and the most important is for you to be able to stay for one two three years by basically living very normally you need to love what you're doing basically like it's kind of like you you discovering a passion if you realize after three podcast episodes or 10 because you're not making money. You're stopping. It's not a bad thing. You're not a loser because you stop. It's just not your passion. Mm. You're not passionate en enough about the thing to continue. You should be able to say, you know what? Okay, provided I have another activity that gives me decent money, I could do 500 podcasts without making money. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Or I could be doing 500 websites without making money. I don't care. I just love it. And at some point, oh, but because I'm good, I can maybe make some money out of that, mm -hmm. which is where it's useful to have some business skills, right? Or a co-founder with business skills, right? This is, like, this is what excited me about like doing To Kill High Club was, I said to you before in the big, like before the show is that we, I came up with this idea with my best mate, um, Eddie, who's uh, four years ago. But then when I said to Ricky, I was like, yo, we're going to start filming this thing. And I, cause my, one of my best mates, she's this huge love, you know, she's in episode one, um, Gabby. And she came in episode one and she was staying here. And I was like, yo, I need to shoot this thing before you go. You're not going to be back in Bali. And then we shot it. And I was like, F and it wasn't, you know, everyone knows it wasn't these. It was these small shitty things. I just got them from the backyard. I just needed to shoot. It wasn't this table. Who cares? And who cares? Who cares? And, and I bought these. And then for the second episode, the first episode was my pilot and it was cool. And I'm like, yeah, this is sick. 
But the second episode was one of my best mates who was um, Drake's and Migo's tour manager. Very well-renowned, respected. And like Garrett, me and Garrett were on the episode, like shooting the shit, talking to my homie. And I learned so much from him. And I've like just recorded all of these episodes and then uploaded them in advance. And so I'm recording, doing all this work and I haven't made any money. But it was the second episode where I was like, I could do this forever. Yeah. Because I'm learning more shit about my friends. Than I'm learning just had a normal conversation. Yeah. And yeah. I'm enjoying the shit that I fucking love to do, but I'm not getting like fucked up, but I'm enjoying yeah. this conversation and I'm learning so much from, you know, my friend yeah. who's on the on the show. And then you become much closer to them. Yeah. And people who you're not friends with, with podcasting, you become much closer to them. Mm -hmm. Like I had this uh, co-founder, chairman of blockchain.com, 14 billion company on my podcast. Do remote podcast. Now we do everything in studio. But remote podcast, an hour and a half, whatever, an hour. It's really cool talk. Three weeks later, he emails me or texts me, Kevin, uh, first time I'm in Singapore um, for the company. Do you want to hang out tomorrow afternoon? I'm like, fuck yeah. I bring him to my favorite uh, place there, like for like brunch and everything. And he started to tell me about, you know, life with hates his father, like all this shit. Like, I'm like, fuck, man. I had one call with this dude, prep call, one podcast. Then he's like, hey, Kevin, let's hang out. Then he told me everything. And I was like, like, if I go to London, I can see him. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I can ask any introductions. We can do potential business together. Like, it's just like part of like the, it's amazing. Like, mm -hmm. really. So, but find the passion. And like, you're not going to know until you try. And if you don't continue, it just means it was not it. Mm -hmm. Continue until you have something else mm -hmm. and start. Like Joe Rogan, you have the first few episodes like in 2009, like it's ridiculous. But he did it. Continued. Now it's like episode 2050 or whatever. Got 100 mil from Spotify. 100 mil from 45 for five years. Yeah. Exactly. And he doesn't give a fuck about the 100 mil. Probably he's like, I fucking love That's that, bro. Shit. Yeah. I, I, like, at the end of the day, how much do I need to live with my family in like uh, Austin? Yeah. 200k a year? I don't know. Like, as long as like, he can go fucking still train, do his ice bath, shoot some fucking arrows. Yes. Are you pumped when you wake up in the morning? Yes. No. Mm. That's it. Like at the end of the day, there's so many cars you can buy, watches, hotels. It's not going to make you happy anyway. Like you can buy a few, then you're probably going to resell them because you think it's a fucking stupidity. <laughs> Just pumped. Like, that's it. Mm -hmm. So exactly. That's it. I think. Well, bro, I think we can shut it off there, man. Just this is uh this has been fucking fantastic. It was good. This has been really sick. Thank you so much for jumping on, man. And um yeah, I can't wait for us to uh to catch up again when you're when you're back in Bali. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you, bro. And thank you for watching. Uh this has been a dope show. I cannot wait for the next episode, which is coming very, very soon in the next week. And the next special guest that we have is fucking phenomenal. And the tequila that we have is extremely special the story behind it is one to be told for the ages but until then like and subscribe and adios hasta luego amigos <laughs>